we're not magnifying him as, as I hope we would. Um, the world still doesn't see him as they need to see him. We're made for an eternity in his presence, in a place that he has made for us to dwell in his eternal presence. I've been reading a book. I just finished this book by a pastor named John Burke. I mentioned it to Lon earlier, but it's, uh, um, I, I believe the title is uh, You Can't Imagine Heaven. Imagine a, he- imagine a heaven unlike anything you've ever imagined. And what the guy does is he interviews about 5,000, I think it is, people that have, have died and come back. And um, their recollection of what they went through when they were supposedly dead um, is often very similar. You know, and Jesus is there. <laughs> Heaven is all about Jesus. Heaven is his realm. Heaven is his place for his people. Heaven is perfect because he's perfect. And so I want to specifically lift up Jesus for these next few weeks. And consequently, God led me to the I am's of John. And I didn't know this, but you guys have looked at this before, I think, at some point from someone else. So you'll hear my side of it, what God's impressed upon me. John's gospel is all about who Jesus is. John frames his gospel around seven miracles. If you walk through it, I'm not going to look at the miracles, but it starts with the uh, turning of the um, water into wine at at Cana, the wedding at Cana. And then he he gives these signs about who Jesus is so that you can begin to understand the magnificence and divinity of Jesus. And then he further frames it around seven I am's, which is what we're going to look at that Jesus states about himself as he tries to tell us all who he really is. When we introduce ourselves, we say, I'm B.G. Stumberg. Then we may add something further, such as I'm a preacher, or I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm a businessman, or whatever. But it's all meant to give the person we're introducing ourselves to a further insight into who we are, and to help us to identify with that person. It's meant to give us access into that person's trust and friendship. This is what John lets us in on as he tells the reader about the times Jesus introduces further revelation about who he really is. And so I want uh, to... So what I want to do is to take a good look at these passages over the next seven times I'm here, if I'm here that long. Um, I've only been booked through next week, so I don't know whether I'll be here after that or not. I'm assuming I will be, but anyway, there also is an eighth I am that I'm not going to get into, and it's not part of the seven, but if we get that far, I'll, I'll go back and take a look at that one. So let's take... A look at the first one together. It's from John chapter twenty or John chapter six, verse twenty-two. Um, actually, the passage goes down to ch- verse fifty-eight, but we'll grab the 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 bulk of it um, from that first part. So I, I'd like to just read through verse forty. So John chapter twenty-two or John chapter I did that twice now. John chapter six, verse twenty-two. On the following day, now. Let me take you back. He just fed 5,000 with, I think it was like five loaves and two fishes. 
And um, he blessed it. He mentions that in this part. And when he blessed it, um, they picked up 12 basketfuls of leftover food from that little lunch sack that had started. It's one of the signs of Jesus. Who else could do that? So on the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread, after the Lord had given thanks. It was when he gave thanks that it multiplied and fed 5,000. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, Jesus sort of cuts through the whole chase, and he answers them in a really interesting way. He says, um, Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then? What that we <coughs> excuse me, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the man in the desert, as written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. May God bless his word. Let's just thank you. I was going to ask for that. Thanks very much. I had a dry throat when I woke up this morning, and it's just a little amplified here. But let's pray real quick. Father, we ask that you would take your word and that you would enliven it to us, that you'd open it up, and then that you would confront us with it, that we might take a hold of it and grow, that we might take a hold of it and be better servants for you, that we might grasp some of what you have for us. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you are the great I am. 
Lord, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, I'm just going to look at three things here from this passage. The first is the, I call it the real regular heart of man. In, um, in verse 22, it, 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 he, he, he's talking about what has just happened. Jesus has fed the 5,000. Um, he sent them all away, and then he sent the disciples. They went across in the boat, and he went up onto the mountain to pray. And when he came down from the mountain, uh, <laughs> he gets confronted by these folks who want, they want to be fed again. They like free food. It wasn't a welfare society, but I see welfare right here. Man wants something for nothing. So they came looking for Jesus. When they could not find him, they realized where he had gone. They jumped in, into boats. Now, he had walked across. I didn't mention this earlier, but after he'd gone up the mountain to pray, in the middle of the night, you know, he walks out across the lake and scares the disciples almost speechless, jumps in the boat with them, and they get to the other side. They know he hadn't left with him, so they, they, uh, they're so, where did you go? What did you do? And they go after him. So what were the people's real motivation here? I believe it was a materialistic motivation. Most of us look at the things of the word from a materialistic needs based, and they they were looking at Jesus as if, okay, you can now meet my needs, my physical needs from now on. Now, I believe God wants us to pray for our physical needs. I don't think there's any question about that. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is relationship with him. And they were missing this. They wanted to be fed. What were the people's real motivation? Jesus points it out in verse 26. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you want saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. People even then wanted their needs met. They wanted freebies, if you would. They wanted something for nothing. They wanted to be entertained. And in the midst of that kind of heart desire, they missed the reality of the fact that God was standing right there in front of them. Yet they do not see Jesus as who he really is. Our desire for the things of this earth can keep us from truly seeing who Jesus is. Years ago, um, my first real Bible teacher, Joseph Carroll, pointed out that in uh, John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, that he gives the three things that, the, that Satan fools us with. Three things that he takes away from us. So if you have that, would you put that up, First John chapter, do you have that one? I didn't give it to you. Oh, no. Okay, let me just read it to you real quick. First John chapter, chapter 2, verse 15. Listen to this. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Well, I went past it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, what are the things of the world? It's our physical needs. It's the things that are around us. It's the be in one sense, it's, it's creation. But he says, do not love those things. For all this, 
all, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. What is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life? Mr. Carroll pointed it out to being pleasure, possessions, and power. That's what Satan fools us with. That's what's going on in our world right now. There's a lust for power. And certainly there's a lust for pleasure and possessions in America today. But that's not who Jesus is, really is. He provides those things often, but he's not really interested in us just having possessions. He wants us to have relationship. These people in that day had the same problem we do, and all people in all ages have. The things of the world distract us and keep us from enjoying all Jesus is. Jesus states clearly in verses 26 and 27, he says again, most assuredly, and that in some of your translations, if you go back and read this, it'll say verily, verily, or truly, truly. He's emphasizing something here. He says it four times in this, in the, in this passage. This is the truth. This is right. Verily, verily, or most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. He's pointing them away from their physical needs being met to their eternal needs being met. That's more important. He says this is to emphasize what he is telling them and trying to get them to get their priorities straight. I think at times we need to get our priorities straight. You know, I've, I've been super blessed in, in terms of physical things. God has taken care of all my needs. But if that takes me away from Him and my relationship with Him, then I've completely missed what He's trying to do for me. Note two, number two, note people's desire for a miraculous sign. Verse 28, he says, then the people said, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? That to me is sort of a, an interesting question because they've just now seen him feed 5,000 people with, what was it, five barley loaves and two fish and, and pick up 12 basketfuls of stuff. And they're saying, what, what, should, what shall we do that we may, see, work, uh, may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of, that, of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. If you ever go through the book of John, underline the word believe. You'll find that it's said over and over again throughout the book. The whole book is meant to bring us into that trust relationship with Jesus Christ. They're to believe, but they want to be, in one sense, entertained. They want more signs. Verse 30 says, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then? Uh, you haven't seen the other sign? <laughs> did you miss something when, we, when I was feeding you? Oh, oh, how did I get to the other side of the lake? You don't understand still? 
Have people really changed? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the man in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What had just happened to them? They, they wanted to be entertained. They wanted their physical needs met. They wanted to have the pleasure of being physically healed. In one sense, none of that is bad. But if it becomes the motivation for following Jesus, then we've missed the real reason he came. Verse 29, Jesus calls them to set their belief on him, the one God had sent. But they do not realize who he is, and they're still more interested in what he can give them for their physical needs and relief. Now please note this. They have been fed the day before. They'd seen a bunch of people healed. And they're still asking for more signs and more miracles before they believe. How much do you need? We have the entire revelation of God right here. I'm, I'm all for people getting healed. I'm all for miracles, you know, seeing God send miracles. But we have everything we need right here to find out and understand who Jesus is and set our faith on him. The word of God reveals to us the greatness of our Savior. So the th third part of this is note, Jesus tells them that he's better than their manna. <laughs> Verse 32, Jesus says, Most assuredly, again, there's that verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. What's the true bread from heaven? Jesus himself. He's the true bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I, I often wonder, how could they stand in front of Jesus and seen the miracles and heard him speak and yet still couldn't believe. I don't understand that. Now hopefully, later, many of them came to Christ after the resurrection. Because there was this kind of revival in Jerusalem and, and across uh, that day Israel and, and uh, Samaria. But how much does it take at times? How many times do we have to be confronted with who he is? How, how often do we have to see him work before we'll say yes to him? The people of Exodus missed that. And they committed idolatry that kept them from the promised land. Moses represents the law, if you would. The law does not save, only Jesus saves. Jesus tells them that God gives the true bread that will truly satisfy, the bread that will lead to real life, eternal life. And it's wrapped up in the person he sent. That is who the Father sent. And of course, they want the physical bread that will keep them fed forever so they do not have to work. Look at verse 34. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. <laughs> Boy, I, I want it now and always. I want to line up at McDonald's and never have to leave again. I want everything taken care of. They want it all. And they want it all the time. They want the substance that will relieve their physical hunger. They're still stuck on bread. 
food for physical nourishment. Now, I believe that the church today is called to help. Help the poor. Jesus was very frank about that. We're to, we're to open our doors to help in any way we can minister to people. But our ministry ultimately should lead to relationship. Our ministry should always be with the end goal of leading that person into an eternal relationship with, with Jesus Christ. If we don't do that, then we're just leading them along, meeting their physical needs, and not bringing them to the Savior. Jesus was concerned about that with these people. He kept confronting them. He never backed off. He wanted them to have that relationship. So then he points out the fact that Jesus, or Jesus himself points out that he's the ultimate resource. Look at verse 35 again. He says, I am the bread of life. That's where we're going with all this. I'm the ultimate nourishment. I'm the ultimate uh, feed that you need to eat on. I am the bread of life. I call it sort of a, the bomb of spiritual insight to blind people. Jesus drops it right there in front of them. Every time you read the word or hear the word proclaimed clearly, the bomb of spiritual insight, if you would, is right there. We need to see what he's really saying. Then what do you do with it? I don't want you to be blind like these people were. Jesus gives them a definite and clear answer. I am the bread of life. He's telling them who he is using the metaphor of bread they're talking about. You have a physical hunger? Well, I can meet that. But more important than your physical hunger is this eternal hunger. I think it was Pascal who said all of us are, have a God-shaped vacuum inside of us. And only Jesus, the bread of life, can fill it. God, via Moses, gave the manna, the physical bread. Physical bread pictures who Jesus is here. He introduces himself as the one who will totally satisfy their hunger. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 47. I don't know if I gave you these verses. I apologize if I didn't. But verse 47, <clears throat> in the, in, still in the same idea, he says, Most assuredly, or verily, verily, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. That's what the bread of, of, when he says, I am the bread of life, that's what the bread is all about. Verse 48 goes on, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. He's alluding to his, uh, to his crucifixion at that point. I'm, uh, in my Baptist background, we, would, we wrestled with the um, first church I had. We took communion every, every Sunday. I, I like communion. I'm from a, when I grew up, I was a disciple of Christ, and we took communion every Sunday, and I loved that. And then we decided to take it uh, every month, and then we went to once a quarter, when I retired, I think we were doing it once a quarter. I am so glad you guys 
do the remembrance of the body and blood of Christ monthly. Because we need to realize he gave his flesh so that we can partake of it, so that we can have eternal life. Jesus is telling them and us that he is the one who will sustain you to eternal life. He's the one who will sustain you through the bread he gives us. We eat to survive. We need Jesus to really survive. He's our substance. He's our sustainer. He's our satisfaction. He's our way to survival. Survival, not only in this world, but in the one to come. He's our all. He's the bread of life. It was the giving of his flesh on the cross that gave us eternal life when we put our faith in his finished work. It is his blood that cleanses us and gives us entrance into God's presence. But we are often like these people. We see and feel and yearn for what is right in front of us when the reality is that only Jesus can really eternally satisfy us. I am the bread of life. No other founder of any other religion that I'm aware of has ever made such a incredible state, statements about himself. Uh, Noah quoted earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. By me. That, that's an incredible statement. <laughs> These I am's are definitive. That's why we can say without hesitation, There's only one way. (laughs) Jesus is the way. There's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus. There's only one way to have relationship with God the Father, and that's through Jesus. There's only one way to be cleansed before God, and that's through the blood of Jesus. He is our all. But unfortunately, we do get sidetracked by the things of this world. Only he can really feed us and give us nourishment that will hold us through our lives and give satisfaction to our lives. Jesus is the bread of life, real life in this world, and eternal life with him in the next. In verse 36, he gets pretty blunt. He says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Um. The church that I'm in now wants to encourage people all the time. And I want to encourage people. Don't misunderstand me. But I struggle at times with the scriptures when, they're, when you read something like this where Jesus is just frontal with them and says, you have missed it. You don't understand. You need to get it. He's saying that to them because he loves them. And he wants them to understand the truth. I think we as a church in America have lost that confrontationalism at times. We need to say to people, you are lost. You don't have the bread of life. You don't know the Savior. And you need to know him. You know, the most loving thing that you and I can do is always tell people the truth. And somewhere in our past and I'm talking collectively of the church in America, but somewhere in our past 50 or 80 years, we have lost that confrontationalness. 
And I'm not talking about being harsh or weird or standing on the street corner and being crazy. But I'm talking about caring enough to tell people, you haven't got it. And you need the bread of life. That's what Jesus was doing here. Verse 36 again, but I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. He wants them to believe. He wants them to know him. He wants them to walk with him. He loves them, and so he tells them the truth. Jesus is the ultimate resource. And the last thing to see from this passage, Jesus will never reject us. Verse 37, <clears throat> All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. <clears throat> this is one of those difficult verses about eternal security, about um, what God really does when he grabs a hold of us. Who has been given by the Father to the Son? Do you know? I don't. <laughs> but one of the things you can do with this verse is, Lord, when you pray, Lord, I believe that my daughter has been given to you by the Son. Open her eyes that she might see. I believe that my son, I'm talking about my children, have been, has been given to you, and I want you to open their eyes that they might see. I don't know exactly how God works that all out, but I know that God loves all. It's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. It's the goodness of God that draws people to himself. And it's the goodness of God that keeps you and I once we come to him. We don't know who God's already chosen, but it's our part to be involved in evangelism and in telling people of the love of Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to see someone birthed in front of you. I don't know if you've ever had that privilege. I've, I've led a, I can't even tell you how many people I've prayed the prayer with and led to Christ. Some are still walking with him, some aren't. But listen, it's wonderful to watch them birthed into the kingdom. <clears throat> the point of this verse is that Jesus loves us and wants us to be saved, and he will in no way cast us out. This is the strong statement of eternal security. Once we put our faith in the living bread, we're in with him. My thought on this is that even the slightest inclination towards Jesus indicates that he is working on one's life and wants to bring that person and you and me as a love gift to the Father. Jesus does not reject those who sincerely reach out to him and want to know him. God is love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. He loves us all. He's, he was willing to come to this sin-sick world and rescue the perishing because he loves us. God sent his only son because he loved the world. He desires all men everywhere to be saved. But will all men everywhere be saved? No, unfortunately, 
history is full of lost people. But does that negate our responsibility to tell them of their need for the bread of life? If, if they're called of God, are a gift to the, of God to the Son, then they will be saved, and you and I get to be a part of that wonderful birthing experience. If I may, just I'm off course here a little bit, but what's the purpose of the church? Isn't, it, isn't the church like an outpost for God in the midst of an unsaved world? And isn't it the church's responsibility to bring the unsaved to the Savior? I'm going to be doing this over the next seven weeks or so, if you'll have me back. <clears throat> Invite lost people to this. It will encourage you to see people saved in this church. It will encourage you to see this church grow. You don't need a pastor here to see the church grow. That's your responsibility as as being a part of the body of Christ. Bring people and see what God does. Back down to the passage. Verse 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus states that his mission is to do the will of the Father, the will of God. He was doing what God what what gave him spiritual nutrition, if you would. He was following the Father's will. He's our example of doing the Father's will. If it was the Father's will to send Jesus to be the Savior of the world, would that not be part of God's will for each of us? Although we can't be the Savior. We can be a spokesman for the Savior. We can further do the Father's will by telling others of the love of Christ so that those who are given to the Son by the Father might be given in our presence. Jesus did not come to do His will, but the Father's. Whose will are you doing? We're to do the Father's will. We, uh, I meet with some of the guys for Theology on Tap on Thursday night, and we talked about doing... What is, what is God's will for us? Part of God's will for us is right here. We're to share the love of God by sharing Jesus. God gave us Jesus living inside of us by the Holy Spirit, and consequently, He wants to use you and me, filled by His Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to reach His chosen I said that was the last one. Here's the last one. <laughs> I'm a good Baptist preacher. I, you know, <laughs> and finally, <laughs> and finally, <laughs> Jesus will rise up on the last day. Verse 39, Jesus states again that he will not lose any on the last day, but all who partake of him as the bread of life will be raised up with him on the last day. He will raise them up. He gives them eternal life. He's our bread of life on the last day, our eternal life. We partake of him by believing in him as Savior. Verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that, all of, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, 
and should raise it up on the last day. In verse 40, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. What a great promise. Hallelujah, that's right. The will of God is that everyone will see him as he is, the bread of life, the only way to be in God's presence. Again, he reiterates that those who believe in him will be raised up, and they will have eternal life if they partake of the bread of life. Jesus. Have you been a partaker of the bread of life? Have you set your belief, your faith, by an act of your will on Jesus? The only one who can save you for eternity. There is no other. By the name of Jesus, you and I can be saved. I'd like to give you two applications to end with. One is just to, just to remind you of this. But next time you eat a piece of bread, stop a minute and give thanks to Jesus because he's the bread of life. Let it remind you that he's the bread of life and that ultimately you, can, you need to be feeding on him. And then secondly, I mentioned it earlier, but if you believe that Jesus is the bread of life, who are you giving the bread to? As I said, I'm going to be speaking on these I am statements, and they're all evangelistic at their heart. Wouldn't it be awesome to be, see some saved right here in your services? So invite people. You got a great church here, you got good worship, you got good people. Don't be ashamed. Invite folks. This is a good place to be on a Sunday morning. Bless you. Thanks for your time. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would just, uh, that you would use your word to encourage us and strengthen us and confront us, Lord. Where we have a shortcoming, help us to lean into your spirit and into you so that you might fill that void in us. Lord, I pray that you would give us spiritual insight over these next few weeks to see those around us who are ready to come, ready to hear the gospel, and then might we all invite them. And in that, see the kingdom expand here at Grace. Lord, your grace is great. May we share that. May we May we be sensitive to your spirit to see those whom we sh should share with. And then may we be obedient and bring them with us. Lord, bless this church. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing here. Bless this church and do something wonderful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.